Hi, I am Lucy, and if we haven't met, then we'd love to meet you after the service. Um, I'm the KV's Compassion Pastor. I've been in this role for about a year now. It's been great fun. Um, if you'd love to find out more about it and what we do with Compassion, I would love to speak to you. <laughs> so this morning, we are continuing our series through Luke. If you can cast your mind back a month or so, Rachel spoke on Luke's first story from Jesus' adult ministry, where he reads from the scroll of Isaiah to his hometown of Nazareth. He's then gone on to call his first disciples. He's healed a leper and a paralyzed man, lifted down to him through a ceiling. And all of these acts, including what we'll read this morning, have been provoking some responses in the locals. Sam is going to come up now and read our passage for us from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 39. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say, the old is better. Great. Thanks, Sam. So there's quite a lot going on in this passage. There's Jesus calling Levi, the following dinner with other tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees taking issue over the company Jesus has been keeping. Then more questions on why Jesus' disciples don't fast, and his response to that using images of a wedding, some clothing, and some wine. I haven't got a three-point sermon for us this morning. Instead, we're gonna walk through the passage allowing the images and, and ideas to build up on one another. And hopefully by the end, we'll have built up a picture of what Jesus might be inviting us into this morning. Let's begin. In the previous chapters, we've seen Jesus minister to physical outcasts like the leper. Tax collectors, like Levi in this passage, would have been considered a social outcast at the time. This was because tax collectors worked for the Romans to take money from the people, often whilst lining their own pockets too. Levi was also Jewish, so the betrayal would have felt even greater. The controversy of Jesus' call would not have been missed on the surrounding crowd. 
And we're seeing again how Jesus operates. He continues to go after the least, the last, and the lost. Jesus singles Levi out. In the Greek, Luke seems to make a conscious word choice here to describe how Jesus noticed Levi. The word he uses doesn't suggest an accidental passing glance, but an intentional beholding of something. Mark's account of this story in chapter 2, verse 13, gives us more of a sense of the swathes of people who are also seeking Jesus out at this point. And amongst all this commotion, noise and faces, Jesus stops to notice a single, unliked Jewish tax collector. He says to Levi, follow me. He doesn't say, hey, look, Levi, you're in a bad way. How about we chat, see how your scales balance, and I'll see if we can cut you a deal. No. Before anything else, before even Levi steps out of his tax booth, Jesus sees Levi and welcomes him to be his disciple. And then, in verse 28, it says that Levi got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. Just like that. In preparation for the sermon, I found myself stuck with the matter-of-fact nature of this statement. How did Levi respond so assuredly, so wholeheartedly, to Jesus' invitation? I felt the Lord ask in response to my ponderings, well, Lucy... How do you think you would have responded in that situation? Look, Lord, it's nearly tea time. I'm not in the mood for some spontaneous Wednesday afternoon heart surgery. And yet. I think the key to a response like Levi's was a real, honest awareness of his need for Jesus. If I imagine myself in Levi's shoes for a second... I wonder whether this tax collector had been for a while feeling a bit lost, discontent, or torn up inside. Surely there's something more than this. So, when Jesus, locking eyes with Levi, and seeing that hidden anguish behind them, for Levi, his response was clear. Levi was ready to recognize, honestly, the state of his heart, ready to recognize the one to whom he could entrust his brokenness to, and ready to do something about it. Like when we read a few weeks ago when Jesus called Simon Peter as he was out fishing, the call of Jesus takes complete priority over their old lives. If Jesus locked eyes on you here this morning and asked you to follow him afresh, to follow him deeper, or maybe it's to follow him for the first time, how would you feel? Further evidence of Levi's changed life can be seen in the way he opened up his table and gathered others to Jesus. Levi is called in love and responds with love. The Pharisees in verse 30 describe the gathering of people as a large crowd of tax collectors and sinners. So this wasn't exactly a bunch of the best and brightest that the town had to offer. Outsiders are welcomed in to sit and recline in an intimate setting with Jesus. 
Luke actually references a similar image to a great feast later on in Luke chapter 14. In the form of a parable, he uses this wonderful image of a great banquet as a picture of the kingdom. In the parable, the master is holding a feast and asks the servant to invite people, but they all initially give excuses, and pretty poor excuses at that. One of them says in verse 18, I have bought a field and I need to go see it. So instead, the servant is instructed to, in verse 21, go out and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And when there's still space, to go out again and extend the invite even further. I don't know about you, but I find this image of the kingdom like a great banquet, so evocative and powerful. Our image of Jesus eating at this intimate dinner party with tax collectors and sinners, like the great banquet parable, shows yet again that Jesus' intention for reaching the least, the last, and the lost is a central heartbeat to the kingdom he was here to set in motion. But the Pharisees and their grumbling hearts, they couldn't see it. In verse 30, it says they complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? They failed to see the need Jesus wanted to meet, and they couldn't see, see their own need for him too. Luke's use of the Greek verb here for complained or grumbled in other English translations is the same word often used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to describe the Israelites grumbling in the wilderness after God had brought them out of slavery to be his chosen people. For example, Exodus chapter 15, verse 24, the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? God's people then, similar to the religious elite of Jesus' time, were failing to recognize and be part of the new thing God was doing. Jesus' response to them is like a mission statement of sorts, tactfully undermining the Pharisees' question. The NRT translation puts it in a way which I think helps communicate Jesus' reply more pointedly. Verse 31 to 32 reads, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. The contrast is stark. You'd only go to the doctor if you're aware that something's not right. Those who know they are sinners, those who are aware of their need, like Levi, are those who are ready to leave everything and approach God. It is for those Jesus has come. The reconciliation Jesus wants for us, with us, is possible when we receive him with an honest acceptance of our own brokenness and need for him. I believe there's an invitation this morning for people to see themselves more honestly than they have before and to start to let God into those hidden places. This might be for the first time. But like with a lot of things, this is also a state of heart we need to keep coming back to God with, no matter how long we've been walking with him. Like Levi, let your eye meet his as he beholds you in love. God's more interested in our initial humbleness and willingness to approach him than our initial holiness. That comes later. Let's not let the worry or shame 
of our shortcomings stop us from coming to him as we are now this morning. Because it is in the holiness of his presence, of approaching him again and again, on a Sunday at home group when we open his word, or in our quiet times with him, that he is making us whole. He's not a doctor's archivist making a nice color-coded chart of our brokenness. He's the doctor, and he's in the room. He's in the business of healing, of mending, and calling us to new life. Therefore, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 to 20, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Levi's call not only can challenge us to think about how we might need to respond to Jesus this morning, but it also challenges us to commit to be the kind of followers Jesus intended us to be. Levi is called in love and responds with love. As we are reconciled to our Heavenly Father, we are also to be his kingdom ambassadors, to bring others to the great banquet and introduce them to our closest friend. Let's make more of an effort with our neighbors. Let's stop to say hi to the person who's sitting outside Tesco. Let's invite our work colleagues or classmates to a home group social or pub church. Or if you want to find out more about KB's Compassion Ministry projects, speak to me. <laughs> we get to be part of bringing people to this table, to join in the feast and see Jesus show his abounding love to them. Moving on. In verse 33 to 35, Luke seems keen to continue with the food and feasting theme, so we shall too. More concerned voices, this time from the wider Jewish community, it seems, question what Jesus' disciples had been up to, and it's less about who they've been associated with and more about their religious practice. In verse 33, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do, do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. I like that, go on eating and drinking. <laughs> Sounds good. Anyway, um, fasting was a highly regarded religious practice for the Jews at the time and had a deep cultural heritage too. The Old Testament tells of fasts for many specific reasons, often linked to confession and intercession. National fasts occurred on the Day of Atonement and a four-day memorial to recall Jerusalem's fall. The Pharisees in Jesus' time had developed it into a regular religious practice, the most zealous fasting twice a week. So it was a big part of the Jewish psyche, and it embodied part of what it meant to have a devout relationship with God. So the fact that Jesus, who was claiming to be the Son of God, and his disciples didn't appear to fast or fast regularly, 
This was causing friction against a deeply held understanding of what a right relationship with God should look like. Jesus' response, as we'll see in just a moment, doesn't say that he's against fasting. He's saying there's actually a deeper issue behind the question. Also, for what it's worth, back at the start of February, Jesse did an excellent preach on what the invitation to fast can look like in our lives today. I'd recommend giving it a listen. In verse 34, Jesus responds to the question about fasting with, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast whilst he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. The image of a bridegroom at a wedding is used throughout the Bible, for example, Isaiah 62 or Jeremiah 2. It's an image of a, of a promised era when God will establish his kingdom through the arrival of the Messiah. When this happens, relationship with God and creation will be restored and the Holy Spirit poured out. Jesus is using this familiar image of, a, of the bridegroom to say to them, if you really understood who I was, seriously, you would be celebrating and feasting too. Hi, I'm the groom. It's me. And then in our final verses, 36 to 39, Luke includes a couple of parables where Jesus offers further explanation for what this new era meant for those listening. The first image of someone tearing a cloth, a new cloth, to patch an old one is meant to come across as a little absurd. The old garment now has a patch that doesn't match, and the new garment is ruined in the process. The second image of the wineskins communicates much the same point, but arguably the stakes are higher. Wineskins would have been made of sheepskin or goatskin, and over time the skin would age and become brittle. So when you'd put in the new wine and it began to ferment, bubbly stuff, yeah, um, the container would expand, and the old, brittle wineskin would burst. What a waste. <laughs> Jesus is saying, this new era he's bringing about, this new way of having a relationship with God and understanding our role as his followers in this new kingdom, this cannot be contained within the old Judaism. He's saying to them, you cannot put the new thing I am bringing into the old framework you already have for approaching God. The final verse, verse 39, says, And no one after drinking the old wine wants the new, for they say, the old is better. This line is tricky, and people have lots of different interpretations for what it means. So I'm not going to attempt to come up with a definitive answer. Perhaps, perhaps, Jesus is making a comment to say some people would rather stick to the old than receive a new thing. Maybe. But what I do know is that having said yes to a relationship with Jesus myself, I want nothing else. And for those who are content with a life without Jesus or are so attached to their own ways of li living, they are missing out. We don't want to be like the Pharisees who can't see their own need for Jesus. And nor do we want, in clinging to our old lives, to just patch on small pieces of what Jesus actually wants for us 
in full. Instead, like Levi, when Jesus' eyes meet our own, we are invited to get up, leave everything, and follow him. We all need Jesus. So let's recognize it. For the first time or for the hundredth time, let's return to the Lord as we are invited to be honest and real with him in a deeper way than before. If Jesus looked at you this morning, how would you feel? How would you respond? And we can be confident that if we choose to receive his gaze, in the holiness of his presence, he is making us whole. He heals us, mends us, revives us, and restores us. He brings us out through the waters to sing and dance and walk with joy in his new kingdom. There is such a sweet joy that comes from being more fully known by God. And this is not just for us. We are to be inviting others into his love. Bring them along to his great banquet feast. The table is laid. Why don't you come? Let's pray, if you want to stand. Holy Lord, would we become even more aware of your presence, of you in the room with us this morning? We are sorry for not always living like we should. And where we are ready, would you be showing us what we need to bring to you this morning? We want to be more fully known by you. Help us to do that. And thank you that your loving arms always call to us and always receive us. Would you be stirring up our hearts as well to invite others into this love? Lord, would you come and do what you want to do in the ways only you can do? We welcome your Holy Spirit. Amen.